Welcome to Wood Talk for woodworkers by woodworkers. Now here are three guys who like to use a lot of words yet say nothing at all. Mark, Matt, and Shannon. Welcome to Wood Talk number 143 for August 7th, 2013. On today's show, we're talking about milk paint, skill building projects for hand tool woodworkers, and an interview with Matt Kenny from Fine Woodworking Magazine. But before we get to all that good stuff, let's hear a word from our sponsors. Today's show is supported by Festool, helping woodworkers get better results in less time and with less mess to clean up afterwards. Visit them online at festoolusa.com. And by Sawstop. Sawstop is North America's number one cabinet saw and the world's safest table saw. Visit sawstop.com slash 175 to learn more about the professional cabinet saw model that Matt chose for his basement workshop. Then click on Find a Dealer to see the saw in action near you. All right, very nice. Now, I just want to let everybody know this is going to be a short show, quite abbreviated, because I feel like crap and uh, and I can't do an entire show. So that's just our level of dedication here that even <laughs> when we're sick, we're going to do it. Matt, I, I feel I, great, I it, though. Yeah, yeah, I do too. I, yesterday, if we'd have done it, oh, I'd have been feeling like horrible. <laughs> it'd have been two of us. So that's why there's three of us here because if one of us is uh, under the weather, the other two can can prop everything up. So we can attack him and make horrible comments about him while he can't think fast enough. That's right. I'm always <laughs> slow when I'm sick. Super slow. I'm slow in general, but I'm much slower when I'm sick. All <laughs> uh, right, moving into what's on the bench. I'm not even going to really talk very much because my throat's killing me. So how about Matt? What's uh what's on your bench? Well, last week I had mentioned that I was wrapping up the assembly line production of a whole bunch of new wedding boxes for uh, my wife Samantha's wedding season. And the nice thing is I finally got those done. But this comes the part that I absolutely hate the most. And I know I'm not alone on this. It came time to do the sanding. Now, I have the Festool sander and the nice little vacuum. It works amazing. I I think I even made a comment about I barely came up with any sawdust on me at all. Hmm. But that still doesn't do anything for my hands, which after 14 boxes... I couldn't feel my fingertips. And I have like those supposed those gel pad gloves that are supposed to help take some of that, you know, shaking away from your hands. Uh, but it was a small price to pay. I just simply put on my wrist guards and curled up in bed and was just like, oh, wait, the paint stop. You know, some a lot of sanders, uh, some are worse than others when it comes to that. And I've used some in the past that just after, I don't know, 15 minutes of sanding, you get that weird vibration, horrible feeling in your hands that you know, like if you do this every day, you're going to wind up with carpal tunnel. You know? Yeah, it's, I was thinking as I was holding it, I'm like, how do those people who are in production shops who this is, they're the dedicated sanding person, how how do they do this? But then again, you know, I haven't used, I haven't sanded with the, uh, the the sander in quite a long time. I mean, I haven't had a project where I've really needed to. The other ones I've been able to just hand plane it, maybe do a card scraper and at the most have to touch it up with a little sandpaper or something. Mm-hmm. So this was a little unusual. So I'm just going to chalk it up to Matt was being a big old wussy because he <laughs> hasn't done it in a while. Nice. Now, do you get to go to any of these weddings? Like, can you get your payment in like, you know, prime rib or something or? Um, I get my payment in happy wife. That's that's pretty mm. much the extent of this. See, the thing is, I have actually gone to one or two of these weddings, and I have I have worked as the assistant, but the wedding party <clears> laughs you because uh, pretty much, yeah. It's actually, I I hold the special camera bag with the extra camera, and I can never figure out which lens she wants, so she yells <laughs> at me, and I cry, <laughs> and I I don't I'm not a I'm not a quiet crier. I am a full on sobber. It's like so. like working with your dad when you're a little kid and he's telling you what tools to get and you've got no idea what kind of tool that is. No, hold the light, move it, move 
bitch. That is exactly what it's like. I mean, there's been times that she's walked right over. The couple of times I went, she walked right over to the bag and just like ripped it out of me and stared at me and just grabbed it out of there. And I'm like, I'm so sorry. I'm going to go to the car. Did did you find (laughs) yourself at one point going, uh, oh, fuck. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. Um, Matt, we're in the middle of the ceremony. You might want to hold that back. (laughs) You probably end up in like candid wedding shots. You know, the, you know, they've got the cameras at the table or other people taking pictures. Somebody's got to take a picture. Hey, look, the, the, the photographer's yelling at her husband. Oh, that's going on film. <laughs> there was one that I got to sit with the band because that's where they had the photographer, the photographer's assistant and the band. And the band members even were like, dude, she's vicious. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Right on. So that's, that's about the extent that I've been having going on. Oh, Shannon, what's up with you? Uh, I see... You're actually going on vacation, or you're going to take your shop with you on vacation? I, 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 well, I guess I don't understand this. It's been, I want to say, my in-laws have been going to Maine on uh, for vacation for probably 30 years, and they finally decided to buy a place up there. I think they've been looking for a long time, but um, real estate on the coast of Maine is wee bit expensive. So they were able to um, buy a place that they've actually been renting from the same woman for many, many years, and they were able to get it, and it's kind of their retirement home if you will hmm. and um we so i'm we're going up there we're leaving tomorrow and going up there so it's kind of part vacation but also part like they're putting me to work <laughs> bring your tools and be prepared to, to work a little bit which will be cool you know it's, it's fun every now and then to leave the wood shop and actually do some like diy home improvement stuff because the precision is so much less mm, like, exactly. yeah that's, that looks about right that's cool <laughs> that um, one inch gap isn't so bad but what's interesting is one of the reasons that I've always been able to use my garage for my wood shop is my wife's family has never stored cars in a garage. Uh, they had a neighbor's house like burned to the ground uh, when my wife was very, very little. Uh, they had a car fire and it took out the entire house. Wow. And it was kind of like, okay, we're never going to put a car in the garage again. <laughs> so for like the last almost 40 years, they basically have never used the garage for that. So when we bought a house, my wife was like, no, you're not putting your car in the garage, so you can do whatever you want with it. So Add this, a girl. Oh, it's awesome. <laughs> um, this vacation home has a two-car garage, uh, a detached building, um, like kind of midway up the driveway. And they've basically already said, yeah, if you want to use that and put a woodshop in there, go for it. So I'm like, sweet vacation woodshop. So I'm uh, I'm – was originally going to bring up, you know, a couple of tools to take care of some things around the house, but uh, I'm thinking I'm going to bring up some of a bunch of tools that I've been meaning to restore and haven't gotten around to restoring yet, just because they're total duplicates in my shop. So I'm mm-hmm. thinking, ooh, now's a good opportunity to go up and just leave them in Maine. So well, well now yeah. there's one major advantage to being a, a hand-tool woodworker, right? I mean, oh, totally. <laughs> I can't exactly <laughs> strap my planer on my back. I'm going to Maine. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Here we go. So yeah, it's going to be interesting. I mean, I I think I've seen the inside of this garage maybe once, and that was like ten years ago. So I really I have no idea what kind of shape it's in. You know, it's on the coast. Literally, it's on a peninsula surrounded by the ocean on three sides. So mm-hmm. it, the weather is a bit rough up there. So yeah. it's not exactly, uh, I doubt it's very well insulated and such, but I'm never going to be going up there in the winter anyway. So I don't know. It's it's kind of like, um, you guys know Tom Fidgen. He goes to Cape Breton, Canada every year for the summer. He's got a little house out there and he's got his vacation wood shop. And I'm just having visions of my own vacation wood shop. It's kind of a great awesome. concept because it gives you an opportunity oh. to 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 build out things in, in maybe a different way than you've already locked yourself into. In, in, right. in your, I mean, this sounds like uh, this sounds like first world 
conversation. Oh, totally. You know what I mean? Like, totally, yeah. oh, my, my secondary shop, you know, but, <laughs> but I guess if you're thinking in like a dream world where it's, where we could have a second shop, you would probably do things a little bit differently there. Um, yeah. so yeah, it's kind of a, a cool concept. Well, it, and I think, um, I think it'll just be fun to, I think it's a testament to our hobby, you know, mm-hmm. you go on vacation and you actually want to go do some woodworking. Sure. You know? It's, it's kind of nuts. I like it. Awesome. Yeah. Very cool. It's funny because when you said the main vacation home, I'm like, oh, it must be nice to have more than one. <laughs> this is our <laughs> primary one, not our secondary one. <laughs> nice. All right. So what's new in the woodworking world? We got a couple of links here. Uh, Matt, you want to take that first one? Absolutely. This one is from Jack, and he sent in a – this has a lot to do with uh, – I know we had mentioned something about Shannon having his own personal little blacksmith. Uh, and he said that if you want to find blacksmiths, you can check out abana.org. So that's A-B-A-N-A dot O-R-G. And it's one of the national associations, apparently, of blacksmiths. I, I'm going to assume that since we're talking about blacksmiths. And for you, Mark – he said there are other local organizations, and maybe if you're really serious about wanting to become good friends with a blacksmith, check out az-blacksmiths.org. Apparently, that AZ stands for Arizona. I would think so. So, so yeah. I'm going to go and put like a personal ad, like um, married white male seeks. You know, <laughs> Man with strong Man. hands to hammer out relationship. Yeah. I like that. You put some thought into this, haven't you? <laughs> no, not at all. That came a little too quickly. Oh, very good. All right. Uh, Vic, our, our buddy Vic Hubbard, sent us a link to an article on energyvanguard.com, and it's about mistakes that people typically make in their garage concerning HVAC and, and air conditioning and things like that. So um, pretty interesting because I know a lot of us do live in areas where it gets a little warm in the summer, so you're trying to cool that space down. And there are some things that even builders uh, will do that they think is okay, but it may not, you know, it sort of pressurizes the home in a negative way. And there's uh, there's just a lot to think about when you're doing something like this. Um, mm-hmm. And ultimately, one of the better solutions is to have an independent system that isn't tied into the home. Uh, and there's a lot of reasons to do that. So this is a pretty good article. Vince sent it in. You know, he's very energy conscious and aware and uh, knows what he's talking about. So um, definitely check that out. I'm going to have to read that because it's a safe bet that I'm probably making all of those mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have that wall. You have a wall unit now, right? Yeah. Yeah. Which technically by these standards, what they're talking about is the pressurization that occurs when you're pumping a certain amount of air into the garage, but using that same system to pump air into the house and perhaps like the returns are not allowing the pressure to come out uh, to the right amount. So you're actually might be pulling gas in from the garage into the house, like, you know, crazy stuff like that. Mm. Uh, okay uh, another thing i wanted to mention uh fine woodworking live for those who are going you probably already know this that it's happening this weekend if you don't if you don't know that you might be a little late to uh, book (laughs) your ticket but uh yeah so coming up this weekend and i thought it would be pretty cool to have one of the folks at fine woodworking come on and chat with us about the event and just uh answer some questions that i had so this is a pre-recorded interview with matt kenny Uh, He's a senior editor at Fine Woodworking, and I think it's a good one, so have a listen. With me on the line right now is Matt Kenny, senior editor for Fine Woodworking Magazine, and he's here to talk with me about the upcoming Fine Woodworking Live event taking place this weekend, in fact, in New Haven, Connecticut. Welcome to the show, Matt. Thanks for having me, Mark. Uh, Yeah, I appreciate you taking the time out. Uh, You're home today, so this is personal time, I assume. Oh, well, no, actually, I'm uh, at home using my shop to uh, get ready for if I'm working live. Oh, there you go. Um, you know, that that's interesting. So I'm curious, as the editorial staff, the people who are used to creating content and writing, 
How much time out of your schedule goes into actually prepping for an event like this? Well, I'm fortunate. All I have to do is prep for the classes that I'm actually teaching. Oh, okay. So uh, I'll probably spend in the neighborhood of 20 to 30 hours uh, prepping. Okay. But, uh, you know, Asa, uh, my boss who organizes the entire event, spends massive, massive amounts of time uh, preparing for Finally Working Live each year. Yeah, I can imagine. All right. Well, yeah. the weekend, uh, this weekend, it's, I guess people might listen to this later on, so they might not know, but uh, August 8th through 11th in New Haven. And um, I was hoping you might be able to just give us a broad overview of what an event like this uh, would bring to someone who attends. Well, uh, what's good about Fine Woodworking Live is it gives you an opportunity to meet and interact with Fine Woodworking authors in a very intimate setting. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you have an opportunity to sit and listen uh, with maybe 20 other people uh, to about an hour and a half or so of a presentation. And there's also time for questions, interaction, uh, even trying to come up and uh, try out some of the techniques that are being demonstrated. Mm -hmm. So what it is is a chance to uh, – I think the best – what it does best is um, give you a chance. Like it's sort of like reading an article, but you know you always have questions when you read an article. And now is your chance to ask questions and get them answered uh, and to go into things in greater detail. Oh, very cool. All right. So the intimate setting is sounds like it's crucial. So uh, hypothetically, let's say we, we were able to get thousands of people to an event like this. Would you want the crowd to get that big? Or do you think having these small classroom sizes is uh, essential to what you guys are trying to do? I think for what we're trying to do, uh, it is uh, smaller classroom sizes are important, or class sizes rather. Uh, if you had a thousand people, you know, in order to maintain the uh, intimacy of the setting, we would have to have many more teachers. Right, right. Uh, so I, I, I think that's, you know, we're about, what the magazine is about is detailed, rich information. And that's what the live event is about as well. And in order to do that, you've got to strike a balance between class size, uh, you know, too big and too small. Sure, sure. All right, this may be a little bit on the business side of things, but just out of my personal curiosity, when you're a, a print publication and you guys, you know, your media, the content, everything you do is about uh, print and your video content and the website. So when when I look at this business-wise, and I obviously other magazines are doing this as well, how does Fine Woodworking Live, the amount of time you guys invest in it, all of Ace's time that he's putting into this, um, as you redirect your attention to this for a period of time, how does that play into the big picture as a print publication being your primary uh, bread and butter that you guys do? Uh, well, that's a good question. It's probably a better question for Asa than for me. Okay. But, uh, <laughs> I, you know, I, I think in general I could say that, um, yeah, you're right that we are the, – the, the print magazine and its digital versions are our primary business. Yeah. Um, and we see, uh, I guess, Fine Way Working Live as a way to um, to expand on that primary business and to enrich it. Mm -hmm. uh, so, I mean, but more – you know, uh, if, if you wanted a more detailed explanation of, uh, of what exactly the business plan was or something like that, sure. I, you have to ask Asa. But um, I, I think in general it's just a way to expand and to enrich the, the print magazine. 
Well, and I think it really does bring to life the things, the authors, the things that we see in the magazine all the time. It's putting it in your face, giving you a chance to to kick back a question instead of just uh, passively reading and then going, ah, I wonder, ah, never mind, it's too much trouble to try to find that person. <laughs> you know? Yeah, and, and that's really why we named it Fine Woodworking Live in the first place, because we sort of saw the mix of information being presented is similar to the mix of information you would find in a print issue. Yeah. And so it really is, it's, it's like an issue of the magazine, but it's live. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. All right. Well, I'm looking at the list of presenters. You got Michael fortune, Steve Lada, Mike Pekovich, of course yourself, uh, Christian Bexford. I mean, there, this is like a who's who of, of high end woodworking. Uh, is there anything other than your classes, of course, that you're looking forward to the most and possibly getting a chance to attend uh, with some of these other instructors? Yeah, I'm, uh, you know, my classes are probably the ones I'm looking to for the least because you know, <laughs> you've got to work for them and I'm nervous about them. But yeah. uh, I would, uh, you know, I, I really, uh, Chris Bexford is a fantastic furniture maker. All these guys are, they're all fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's had, you know, he's got 40 years of experience. He's a fantastic shaker furniture maker. So I'd be interested into uh, interested in seeing what he does. Uh, I've worked with the other guys before. So when I, every time I go to Michael Fortune's place, for example, it's like a, a little class for me. Yeah. So um, and I've never worked with uh, with Chris before on a technique article. We did a shaker, an article on shaker style, not too long ago. But um, so Chris Bexford, but I would be happy really to sit through any of these classes because every one of these guys, they're they're experienced professionals. They know what they're talking about. They have decades of experience to back up what they're doing, and they they have the nitty gritty detail that you want to know. Right. So I, I'd be happy to sit through any of them really. Yeah. No kidding. Uh, what a great list of instructors. That's awesome. Um, if someone were attending this event for the first time, do you have any tips in terms of uh, strategy for how they can get the most out of the weekend? Cause I know with events like this, sometimes you have to prioritize, Oh, I really want to go see that, but man, I can't miss this particular talk. Are things structured in a way that people can see everything they want to see, or will there be some decision-making there? It should be uh, possible to see everything you want to see. Okay. Um, what we've done is uh, there's so there's three day three uh, two and a half days of classes, uh, and we've scheduled on a particular day one class might be taught three or four times. Okay. So you have plenty of opportunity to arrange your own schedule, and you should be able to see everything you want to see. Awesome. I, I don't you I don't think you could go to I don't know if you can go to every single class. It might be possible, mm-hmm. but you, you should be able to get to see everything you want to. It's a little bit different than how we did it last year. Last year we had a set schedule and everybody cycled through every single class. Okay. And then there were electives on Sunday morning. And this year what we've done is it had more instructors, more classes, a greater variety, and people are going to be able to choose when they go to each one. Okay. All right. Very nice. Um, are tickets still available? It looks like they are still open for registration. Yes. In fact, I think uh, they'll be taking, uh, you can purchase it, walk up and purchase a ticket the day it starts. Oh, okay. All right. And I see a three-day conference pass. Looks like it's three forty-nine. dollars uh, The banquet ticket is $49. What's the, what's the deal with the banquet? Well, the banquet uh, this year, it's uh, 
It's a nice catered dinner. Mm-hmm. And then afterwards, there'll be a talk by Brian Boggs. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, so uh, that, which should be interesting. Uh, we did a similar thing last year. It was a, a nice, a very nice catered dinner. And then there was entertainment provided by Nick Offerman mm-hmm. of, uh, t- of television fame. So, right. um, so uh, Brian probably won't be as funny, but he might be more informative in, when it comes to woodworking. <laughs> that's pretty cool. I mean, that's that's what's great about these events. And unfortunately, I haven't been able to get to find woodworking live. But other events that I've been to, what I love about this is these people who are just you know on the genius level of of woodworking are sitting next to you at a table and you, you really can rub elbows with these people and talk to them. And they're, you know, not, not on some, well, some of them might be on a stage if they're presenting, but you know, they don't elevate themselves that way. They are people who just love this craft and love to teach it to people. So an event like the banquet is one of those places where you see yourself at this event, you're looking around and you could just kind of, uh, you know, stargaze and see all these names sitting around you in the same room. Yeah, the, they're at, all of the guys that write for our magazine, and I've worked it's in some capacity with all of them. Mm-hmm. They're just normal people, yeah. very humble, average, everyday people that are extraordinarily good at woodworking. And one of the nice things about uh, Fine Woodworking Live is this opportunity to uh, sort of to mingle with uh, a lot of different woodworkers. And it's not just the guys teaching, it's the other people attending the event. Mm-hmm. And I think it's it's something that most woodworkers miss out on on a day-to-day basis, that you don't uh, get to sit around and talk about woodworking and learn what other people are doing, talk about your mistakes and try to get help with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's something that in my job I get to do every day because all the guys I work with are also woodworkers and it's constantly what we're talking about. And I'm talking with uh, the authors for the magazine and Fine Woodworking Live is, you know, it's an opportunity to do that, to immerse yourself in woodworking for, for basically three days. Yeah, yeah. And as everything is, you know, online is getting bigger and bigger, and it seems like that is the way a lot of woodworkers initially connect, I think events like this are just a great opportunity to provide a meeting place where you, you will probably find someone, at least one person who you've met online who you can now shake their hand and exchange ideas and talk about things in person. And I think that as we get more into this um, virtual world, doing things like this is just going to be more and more important for us to kind of remain that, uh, that keep that humanity aspect to it. Uh, to be yeah, able- absolutely. I love meeting people that I know through Twitter mm-hmm. uh, or people that have watched videos that I've done or read articles and I get to meet them in person and one, I get to show that I'm actually not a boring person, <laughs> right. uh, that I do have a sense of humor mm-hmm. uh, and that I'm an average guy. But I also get to meet them and learn what they find interesting in woodworking and just generally talk about woodworking, which is you know something I love to do. And obviously, they love to do it, too, or else they wouldn't be there. Sure. Absolutely. All right. Well, if you want more information on the show, it's kind of last minute at this point, but you can go to findwoodworkinglive.com. You can get your tickets there. And if you do wind up going to this event, give us some feedback, call into the show and let us know what you thought about it. And Matt, I imagine you're going to be extremely tired by Monday. So Yeah, probably so. Yeah. So good luck uh, with everything this weekend. Good luck with your classes. And thank you so much for taking some time out to talk with us. No problem. Thank you for having me on. All right. Take care. You too. Okay, so thanks for that, Matt. We really appreciate you taking the time out to talk with us. And let's move into our kickback segment. Matt, if you want to get some of those kickbacks in the gut, that'd be great. 
All right, here goes right now. Get yourself all braced for it. This first one comes from Jack, and this is in regards to episode 143, where we talked about rust spots. And this is some of his feedback he was saying. I was wondering if using something like navel jelly would remove the spots, but make sure it flushed, is flushed and cleaned off and re-oiled after using it. I'm, I've heard of navel jelly. I know a lot of people uh, will mention it when it comes to something like this, but I've never actually used it. How about either one of you? Well, there have I been times there have been times that I would go up to my saws and I, I'll rub my stomach on it. <laughs> and that's, uh, that's all I ever know? think of when I see that navel jelly. I'm like, it's usually just lint, but yeah. I've never had it be jelly. Yeah, I don't find it to be so effective, but uh, yeah, I've, I've used it for major cleaning operations. I got a uh, an old scroll saw years ago that the whole top surface was just rust. Um, not super pitted or anything. So this stuff, it really does eat up the rust and at least give you a good working surface. But going back to that conversation, it will remove the active rust, but it will not get rid of the spots. You okay. know, like the, tat- right. the tattoos that we talked about, it's going to look mm-hmm. worn and old uh, even after using navel jelly. Yeah, I've used it on like really old, beat up, solid sheet of rust hand saws. And it, it does a great job, but man, that stuff is caustic. Yeah, it is. And it smells. Mm-hmm. It's nice, um, <clears throat> So, but, you know, I removed it, and there's still the patina on the saw. I just, I have to wonder, can you even remove that patina without, like, scraping a layer of iron off or something? Nah, I don't think so. Yeah, doesn't sound yeah. that fun. I still see it as being a nice, you know, one of those, the, the patina's good. The, you want that little scar. You want to show that it's used and it's, it's, it's <laughs> lasted. Totally. Matt, Matt's coffee mug was here. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, hey, we have another one here, and this is from Earl. And Earl sent this in saying, for the gentleman who is finishing the bookshelf with a live edge and cheese grating his foam brushes, if he does not want to go to the expense of an HVLP sprayer, he could use lacquers and polys in a spray can form. And I'm glad he mentioned something about that because I always pass by the finishing area and go, it's in a spray can form. I wonder if anybody's ever, like, you know, graffitied and then used that to try and protect it so that they couldn't wipe it off as easily. <laughs> we got to make sure that stuff doesn't come off. So, yeah. Very nice. All right. I'm going to skip voicemail this week. Uh, if we have any, we'll, we'll get to them next week and jump right into the email. And I'm not doing any, but you guys have at it. Okay, well, you know, I've been talking a little bit. Shannon, let's, let's hear your voice for a little bit before you head oh, off to bye. your main vacation. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. All right. This comes from Ryan. And he says, I'm fairly new to woodworking, and I tried the power tool route, but my wife won't put up with the noise, so I'm trying the hand tool route. Can you recommend any relatively quick skill-building type projects to improve my abilities and prove to the wife that I'm not just wasting time? Also, do you have any recommendations on motivation? I suffer terribly from paralysis from analysis. Well, we can tackle that last one first. I think that's pretty typical amongst a lot of beginners, especially now, because there's so much dang stuff on mm-hmm. the internet. Um, you know, the, the only thing I can say is, is exactly what you just asked. Start with some kind of small projects um, just to kind of get your feet wet. And generally, I think just about every woodworker I've talked to, once you kind of get going, you kind of get into the groove and all of that paralysis just kind of falls away. Uh, it's, it's taking that very, very first big step. Um, so I don't know if you've got to put on, you know, eye of the tiger or something like that, do it, (laughs) whatever it's going to take. Um, now regarding kind of quick skill building projects, um, if I may, uh, this is kind of exactly what I built the hand tool school around the idea that little easy projects that you can do scrap wood on that you use in your wood, in your workshop, things like bench hooks and stuff like that, that who cares what they end up looking like, 
But if you, you know, you could build a bench hook by cutting off a square of, of plywood and tacking another piece of plywood on the top and the bottom and you're good. Or you could take the opportunity to flatten a board by hand and glue up a panel using nothing but hand tools, flatten a fence, tack that on top and flatten a cleat and put that on the bottom. You've got a bench hook, but you also learned a heck of a lot about hand planing a board, how to glue up a panel, how to flatten a wider panel. Um, there's lots of stuff like that. As I said, that's kind of what I do in semester one. So bench hooks, saw benches, um, tri squares are great. You can make a marking gauge. Uh, shoot, what else did I make? <laughs> I made a bunch of stuff. Um, basically, you know, look around your shop and think, what are some of the things that I need in my shop? And I realize that's not going to appease the wife very much, but (laughs) it is something that's going to get you started. So for instance, a saw bench, like the saw bench I use is basically a derivation of the classic, um, five board, six board bench, you know, two, two panels on the side, two ends and and a top, essentially, you can take that same design and build a bench for your house. And all it takes is just a couple of boards. And if you want, you know, throw milk paint over top of it so you don't have to worry about the wood. So, you know, use the stuff that you need in your shop to to be your little skill building projects. And if necessary, take the long road and use a real basic hand tool uh, kit. And you actually can learn a heck of a lot uh, just by using just chisels, maybe a saw and, and a plane. Don't kind of focus on getting a whole bunch of real specialized tools and things because that's not really going to help you build your skills too much. And then, as I said, cover it with milk paint to cover the evidence um, <laughs> that you screwed it up, which segues nicely yeah. into Matt's email. There you go. Wow, that was really, really cool. Well done. Yeah, I did that on purpose. <laughs> yeah, well, all right. Well, speaking of milk paint, since you just happened to mention that one, uh, Nick had a question about it. And Nick says, I have a question concerning milk paints. I'm making, be- uh, making a bed for the family dog, and per the request of my wife, we'll be finishing it with milk paint. I'm using some reclaimed pine that my hardwood supplier specializes in. My hardwood hardwood supplier was telling me that when he works with pine and milk paint, he seals the pine with shellac before painting it. So I went ahead and applied a coat of Dewax shellac. Dewax shellac. Did I say that the right way? No. What did I say? I you said, just, I, you, well, you pronounced it a little weird. You said Dewaxed instead of Dewaxed. Dewaxed. That's made by I DeWalt. I was thinking of Dewayne. <laughs> that's, that's paste wax by DeWalt. Oh, man. That's classic. All right. So, uh, so anyways, he says, I went ahead and I applied on a coat of Dewaxed shellac. <laughs> Dewax to shellac. I don't know why I can't get there. Something to do with the words before it. <laughs> he said he, he let it sit. So when I got out the milk, the paint, the shellac could be good and cured. When I went ahead, when I went to get the paint, I noticed that one website recommends putting the paint on raw wood and if putting over an existing finish to use an additive. Another site said that I I, I looked at. Oh my! Can I just start this one over? Work, work it out, Matt. Work it out. <laughs> All right, so anyways, when he looked at the other site, it said just clean and sand the surface. And he's wondering which process is correct and does it really matter? Now, the extent of my use of milk paint has been I I purchased some and it's sitting on a shelf. That's the extent of it so far. I I still haven't made a project that I'm going to use it on, which I don't know why. I I should just follow uh, Shannon's recommendation from the previous question Hmm. and just just do it instead of analyzing it the whole entire time. So I reached out. This is a pretty good project, a bed for the dog. There you go. That's exactly. Funny. That's, that's yeah, even the, better. 
the dog's not going to be the one that's going to complain about it. No. <laughs> so anyway, so what I did is I, I reached out to Anne Thibault, Thibault over, she's the president of the Old Fashioned Milk Paint Company. And this whole entire week, I've been uh, pronouncing her name completely different every single day. So Anne, I apologize. Uh, we'll have a link in the show note for the milkpaint.com uh, uh, website, but her response was milk paint needs a porous surface to adhere to. It wants to sink into the wood. It will then cure over time like concrete and become almost impossible to remove. So bare wood is really what milk paint was meant for. Uh, some people like to seal the knots in pine to help prevent bleeding. It doesn't happen with every knot, but sometimes they bleed through as milk paint has no actual sealing qualities of its own. Uh, the original method for sealing knots that they suggested was to paint them with shellac and then apply the milk paint while the shellac is still tacky. And once it dries, you have a sealed, non-porous surface that the paint will not like to adhere to. So over the years, we came out with an additive, a polymer emulsion uh, that they call Extra Bond that you could mix to the first coat of milk paint, essentially to help make it adhere to the non-porous previously sealed surface uh and uh so she's going on to getting back to the original question pine should not be sealed or primed before painting so if so you'll need to use the extra bond so some people skip the extra bond in order to obtain an unpredictably chippy look but if that is not the effect you're going for paint on bare wood or use the extra bond uh and she says the extra bond is also helpful when painting certain closed grained woods such as maple so there is your answer directly from the president of Milk Paint. Yeah, the, I think the moral of the story is, and I can say this as a lumber dealer, don't ask your lumber dealer about finishes. <laughs> and the other moral is uh, you will always find the answer that you want on any website. Just keep looking yeah, until true. you see exactly what it is that you want it to say. Yeah, and you know what? The other thing is what's great about our industry in most cases is that a lot of these people are accessible. They're small companies. Uh, they will answer their emails, and not in every case, but in a lot of cases. So when you do have product questions like this, just look for that contact page. Sometimes you find an email or a contact form, and you can ask these very specific questions directly to the people who are selling this material instead of uh, us three goons. But <laughs> Who will just probably do it anyways and make us look even better. <laughs> yeah, It's interesting because I think you know the, the fact that the word paint is in milk paint, we tend to kind of have this image of what it should be. And I think real milk paint is more of a penetrating finish than like a film finish. Mm -hmm. um, but I wonder, like general finishes milk paint is not real milk paint. It's more of just an acrylic type paint. Right. I wonder if that might be a good solution for him. Since he's already put shellac on this, um, and shellac supposedly is like a universal binder. It sticks to kind of everything. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I wonder if going with, because it, in using both and using whatever it is, old-fashioned milk paint and using general finishes, general finishes really goes on like, like a paint, like Home Depot paint. Um, whereas the other one, uh, the other ones I've used, they really penetrate in like you know, any other clear coat finish. That might be a good solution that will keep him from, of course, he's still going to have to go out and buy general finishes milk paint. So he can go buy that and go, or go buy the extra bond. It doesn't really matter. Never mind. Well, Don't listen. Well, to I, I sent this response to, to Nick to just let him know what you know, Ann had said and everything. And he, it sounds like he already went ahead and, and, and started. He must have it right now. So he said he was going to go ahead and get the extra bond just to make sure that it's set up. So it sounds like he's already on his way to doing this. Cool. Good luck. Sounds yeah, good. Yeah, definitely. And send pictures. Of the, the 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 bed. I mean, you could send random pictures, I guess. But I, I've here's a picture of a cat. Yeah. Oh, look <laughs> at that. Hmm. 
I'm not sure what that is, but I, it's not work-friendly. <laughs> right. Okay, moving into our iTunes reviews. You could leave us a review in iTunes if you want to. Just look us up in the iTunes store, click on ratings and reviews, and you can ask Matt hmm, why he's so darn clever. I wish I knew. It, doesn't, it, it comes and it goes. It, I think it depends on the coffee. <laughs> There you go. Uh, but we would like to thank Superhero for Life, who had this to say. He says, want to be in the know about woodworking? Here it is. Five stars. This pro- blah, blah. This podcast is a nice way to take in the topics in the woodworking world. They take the listener questions and respond not only on air, but also in writing via email, so you don't have to wait for the next show to hear the answer. Not in all cases, just, uh, <laughs> just saying. Sometimes we just can't get to them all. Uh, great discussion group that has yet to be bested by any other show of its kind. Keep up the great work, guys. You're doing great. Thank you, sir. Oh, I have a new superhero a for life now. Yeah, Forever. He, he's our hero. Yes. Uh, remember, today's show is sponsored by Festool at FestoolUSA.com and SawStop at SawStop.com. And we'd like to thank a couple of recurring donors, Andrew P. and Martin S., for their uh, contributions. We always appreciate that. And if you want to help us out with a recurring or one-time donation, you could do that at WoodTalkShow.com. Look over in the left-hand column and you'll see a couple of links that'll tell you exactly what you need to do. So with uh, that out of the way, how about you give them the contact info and I can go suck on some... Uh, <laughs> Uh, throat stuff. I don't know. Nice little lozenger for you. A lozenger, yeah. Lozenger. Just, just beware of that dewaxed shallot. <laughs> you have any dewaxed? Hey, if you have a comment, a question, or maybe a topic suggestion, and those questions can even include rather controversial ones behind the scenes, where it'll be something I know Shannon knows, but I'm not going to ask him, and I'm not going to let him have an opportunity to talk about it. We'll talk about that in an upcoming episode. So, anyways, you have several different ways to contact us. Leave us a voicemail on Skype. Our username is Wood Talk Online. Call our voicemail line at six two three two four two five one eight zero. Email us at woodtalkonline at gmail.com or you can leave us a comment on our Wood Talk Facebook page. Hey, and if you're ever looking for the show notes or downloads from today's show or previous episodes, you're going to find those over at woodtalkshow.com. So that's everything, folks. Excellent. Well, I'm still stuck back on the Jersey pronunciation of Martin. Martin. <laughs> Martin. Martin. Forget about well, it. No wait, who, who pronounced it Martin? You did. I did not. That's like a, that's like a Boston pronunciation of, of Martin. If you say Martin. okay, so Martin. I can't do a Jersey accent. Shut up. <laughs> that that's Shannon's version of a Jersey accent. Yeah, yeah you, you have to blunt to do the Jersey thing. You got to blunt all of your T's, like uh, Trenton, Martin, Martin. Button, <laughs> all that stuff. All right. Anyway, enough uh, pronunciation podcasting. We'll uh, I guess we'll catch you next time. See you. Okay. See you. Bye. <laughs> For more information about this and other shows, visit frogpants.com. Audio program so good, it's like you're there.